Welcome to Pebble in the Pond, a podcast that hopes to create a ripple of change for mental health. My name is Sam Stewart and I'm the CEO of the Australian and New Zealand Mental Health Association. Each year I have the pleasure of attending events to meet and connect with the most fascinating and accomplished people in mental health. Listen in as I go one-on-one with the people changing the face of mental health in Australia and New Zealand, from lived experience speakers through to researchers, academics and influential industry leaders. Our Pebble in the Pond podcast episodes may contain themes or topics of discussion that may be triggering to some listeners. If you feel you need assistance with your mental health at any time, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or visit the Get Help page for additional resources at anzmh.asn.au. Welcome everyone to the 11th episode of Pebble in the Pond podcast. Crikey, try and say that three times fast. You'll be doing well. Today I have the pleasure in the 11th episode of introducing James Hill and Aaron McCann. More and more we're seeing workplaces take a driving seat in the health and well-being of its employees. As a prime example, Aaron and James uh, have been working with Energy Australia and they are a great example of what happens when an employer's employees come together in the name of mental health. As Energy Australia's mental health ambassadors, both men have used their respective personal experiences to take awareness of workplace mental health to the next level. Listen in as I chat with both men about their personal experience with mental health, as well as their decision to take the stand and speak out about the importance of everyone in the workplace playing their part in mental well-being. All right, welcome, James and Aaron. Thanks very much for coming along to the podcast. I appreciate your time. Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah thanks. Looking forward to it. So you guys have been a hit as far as uh, the audience has gone to see your, pre- your presentation and with what you guys have been up to. Maybe if we start with you, Aaron, tell me a bit about your background and your journey to date. Yeah, okay. So um, I've been a tradesman for the past 15-odd uh, years. Um, and excluding the last two years where I've moved into my role now that is a mental health advocate. Um, and look, for me, the journey there was a, a challenging one. Uh, I went through my own challenges about eight years ago. Uh, and for me, those challenges involved uh, a number of attempted suicides. Um, and look, once I came out of that and started putting myself back together, I realized that I really, my passion lay in the mental health space i wanted to do whatever i could to stop people getting to where i was and whatever i could to help them if they were there and so i was lucky enough to work at quite a big business where we started having those conversations and saying what more can we do we need to be doing a whole lot more and yeah those conversations went on for a few years to the point to where we got to today where now we have a couple of mental health advocates so your energy Queensland is where you are now. Yep. When you were a tradie, what were you doing? What were you swinging the hammer? Was it construction, plumber? Yeah, so so um, I've had a pretty varied background, but my primary trade is I climb power poles. Okay. So I spend eight hours a day, 20 metres in the air, holding live electricity. Wow. Okay. That's a serious job. Yeah. <laughs> High-risk work environment, no two ways about it. And, and so through uh, your lived experience, uh, and there's, you cannot get enough of lived experience in mental health because the work that they do and a lot of the conferences that we do, mental lived experience by far is the most popular, the, most, the, the presentations that resonate with most people because I think they get it. 
and they also it's real and and they also see you with what you've done as a result of an experience in life that you've managed to be able to turn it around yeah <laughs> it's um I think it was something that we try and do a whole lot more at work is empower people who've had a lived experience who'd like to turn, you know, a pretty crappy event really um, into something that they can draw strength from and make change on moving forward because it really does bring out a passion after, you know, going through something like that. What led to your um, your mental health challenge? Was it, was it workplace? Was it... Personal. So look, mine was uh, almost one hundred percent personal. Um, okay. Um, for me, really, it was a relationship breakdown. Okay. And, and that was pretty much all sat heavily on the shoulders of that one event that sort of brought me tumbling down. There were definitely some workplace culture issues that impacted that because actually a few years previous when I had a breakup in a relationship and I tried to let one of my fellow employees know that I was maybe not in the best headspace to be doing a high-risk task and made it quite clear that that was stuff to that now I'm at work I'm to think about work stuff and that stuff is to be left at home which really didn't facilitate an open honest culture moving forward so on the next time it happened I didn't tell anyone what was going on so uh so there was uh, an incident, you brought it up, they acknowledged that, and that was a, a, obviously a good move by yourself. But then you didn't feel comfortable to then bring it up again? Yeah, so the, the first time, a few years previous, when I brought it up, they sort of said, well, suck it up, princess, you're at work. And so when it happened the second time, I what I learned was that it's not something that you're allowed to do, is express that you have emotions in this male-dominated work group that I was in, right? We don't talk about feelings and leave that stuff at home. Now we're here, do what you gotta do. Yeah. Yeah, and James, tell me about yourself. What was your background? Um, yeah, look, I, I've been a tradesman for, for a long time now, but basically I left school at 15 years of age to start an apprenticeship. Um, and yeah, I've been in the electricity industry for that that time, since about uh, 93, 94. Um, and yeah, that's, that's pretty much dominated my life um is is that trade industry i suppose yeah and so you're coming from a lived experience background as well mm-hmm. what was was it was it personal or professional for you as far as the pressures was it was a depression was it yeah it was um oh look it's it, i have a mental illness basically mm-hmm. um my naivety and and lack of education around the topic um probably led me to the point where I got to. So I've probably had mental illness pretty much all of my life. However, I didn't understand the signs and symptoms of what to do about it. So I just got by um, until such time where I was in, in such a, a, a hole of depression that you know suicide was my only option out at that moment in time. Yeah. Um, and I suppose that's that was the start of my recovery journey from that moment on. And were you always employed with Energy Queensland at when you experienced your incident? Yeah, so I've been with, well, it was, it was Energex uh, back then before they went to Energy Queensland. But yeah, I've been there for 12 years. So when I, ex- I was at that lowest moment of my life, yeah, I was still employed at work. Um, but nobody knew mm. what, what, what I was going through, what was going on, because I hit it very well. Mm. And, and are you finding that this this these challenges that you were facing there with, fact that you felt like you couldn't speak up it's it wasn't just isolated to the one 
company, right? I mean, this is something that's in the industry wide. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, you know, as I say, I've, I can only talk from a trade perspective because that's the only industry I've been in my whole life. But, yeah. you know, I was brought up pretty old school um, through my apprenticeship, through my trade, and uh, a lot of older generation tradespeople sort of taught me my craft. Um, never ever did we talk about feelings or emotions. And if at one moment in time you ever looked like you were sad or upset, you know, then you just got bagged out. So you just never ever spoke about it. Yeah, and I think it's only our industry as well, you know. Yeah. My partner's in the hospitality industry and I know that's somewhere where it's not a supportive workforce, right? I think overall, um, unfortunately, industries, you know, big business, we want our people to be healthy. But I guess we try to ignore the conversation and just hope they do it in their own time, right? And they just come to work a nice, happy, healthy person. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's not the reality, right? And so you're working with Energy Queensland as well. Yes. Yep. At the time. And so tell me from um, from a supportive environment, how did how did they react? And and tell me what they did to help you. Yeah. So look, I was really lucky. Um, I had a really good relationship with my immediate leader. Um, when I told my immediate leader what I was going through. And look, I didn't mean to. I meant to tell my immediate leader that, you know, things weren't great and I might be taking some sick leave. Instead, my immediate leader was the first person that I told I had attempted my life. Um, his reaction was all about care. He didn't care that there had been time off. He didn't care that there was going to be time off coming up. He just cared about me as an individual. Um, and so I said, oh, look, I'm, I'm going to need some time. I took a few weeks off. When I came back to work, the first thing he wanted to do was catch up and have a conversation. And again, the, his major concern was how I was doing. Right? Mm. And um, being a, a mental health concern, the reason I went off, we probably weren't really well versed in doing, say, return to works for mental health concerns. We we're really great at doing them for physicals back then, but mm. mental health was really a new point for us. So together, myself and my boss, we talked about what worked for me, what hindered me, and we sort of drew our own sort of little return to work process so that I was able to be honest with him, be honest with my teams, let them know what was going on. And that really did help my recovery, being back at work, because it's a huge part of my identity. And a lot of my support network was back at work. So mm. getting back to work as soon as possible for me actually really helped. Yes. And I assume you had different bosses, even though you worked for the same company. You're yeah. obviously at the Sunshine Coast, yeah. James and, and Aaron was in Brisbane. Um, tell me about your experience with that. So my role at the time, I wasn't actually out on the tools. I was I was a leader. So I had, I had a depot with, uh, with a whole bunch of staff underneath me. Um, look, it got to the point where I needed time off work. You know, when I went through that whole process of reaching out for some help, my doctor sort of put me off work. To begin with, I wasn't honest with work. I didn't tell them the real reason that I was I was off because I was ashamed. I mm. felt weak. I didn't want to be able to openly say that's why I was off work. Um, so yeah, I was off work for, for a period of time um, and I gradually progressed to, to come back to work. And, and similar to Aaron, um, my return to work plan, it wasn't so much as a you know, how do we guide you back in? Like as if I broke my ankle, we'd have a nice return to work plan. You know, probably wasn't done as well as I would have hoped, um, which I'm kind of thankful for now because that lit the, the fire under my backside, for want of a better term, to want to influence a bit more change. So do you think, uh, well, Aaron, with your experience with your your boss, 
was he i assume it's a he was it was he well trained was he um was it was it just genuine compassion and empathy he had for you just as a as a bloke as a mate um or was it something he'd been trained to handle so no definitely um it was just that he cared about his team um he wasn't trained and that was one of the things when i looked back that i realized that you know i wasn't going to be the only person that went through what i went through he wasn't going to be the only leader that was supporting someone going through something like me he just guessed it and i'm lucky that he guessed right he probably took some risks because one of the things that we put in place was that um look i identified that some things triggered me couldn't always tell you what they were but every now and then something could trigger me and i would have you know for lack of a better term a bit of a panic attack right and so he would he said if that happens you give me a bell i'll come pick you up and drop you home you know it's not really a one a leader in our field team's role but he went sort of above and beyond and just went by his gut and i'm very lucky that he did and <coughs> i guess that's one of the things that i realized afterwards is that like we need to do more to support our leaders so they can do that let's give them some framework so they can support people like myself who are coming back to work and so the leaders don't have to guess right so how much of it is to do do you think with leadership and 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 making them aware of what's going on and trying to have a framework around them to better identify these mm-hmm. challenges through their team versus also uh, helping to educate and train your workmates uh, so i think uh, both are key components to be honest right um and i guess one of the other things that we identify in in our business like a lot of big businesses we haven't always ended up with the best leader of people in a leadership position we did a whole lot for a long time of if you've been the tradesman for the longest time you became the leader right which meant that although they were fantastic at their roles sometimes they weren't that humanistic leader they didn't have those leadership capabilities that we were really looking for right so definitely there's a big part in making sure that if that case still exists, that we're upskilling them so that they can do what they've got to do. But also we want to try and, I guess, give our people some education about, so when they know what they're going through, they know what they're going through, right? It's just not a confusing time. And addressing the culture so that, like I was able to have that honest conversation with my boss to say, hey, look, this is what's happening. That people are able to do that because together, collaboratively, we really can get great outcomes. But if the leader doesn't have the abilities to get there or if the person doesn't feel comfortable disclosing, it leaves us in a pretty hard spot, right? Mm. And you're quite fortunate you had a leader that just had genuine empathy for you and compassion. There. Which, you know, compared to James, to your experience, I guess. Yeah, I suppose from my side, I mean, a lot of it was to do with me as well. Yes. Being not forthcoming with. Feeling comfortable. Yeah, and doing that. And that, that comes from probably a lifetime of, being beat down with the stigma around it. So, yeah. you know, maybe if I would have been a lot more open, maybe, you know, things might have been different, but that was that's on me, you know, and that's why I really spurred me on to wanted to help other people not get to the point that I got to by just not talking about it. And so how long um, has it been now that you've been in your new roles? So about two years coming up very soon. Yeah. Okay, so you both started at the same time. Yeah, yeah, we... Um, how it came about was, you know, we sort of got uh, a meeting with our uh, CEO and some executive leadership and just spoke about 
you know, what we wanted to try and achieve and, and have a role in the business that's sort of dedicated to, to mental health. Um, and off the back of that, yeah, the CEO kind of believed in, in our passion and our vision and created these roles for us. So how did you two meet? Yeah, so we actually, um, about three years ago, we had a big shift in, well, a big merger really, and shift in leadership. And they formed a, a, a group in our business. Nothing happens unless a group meets, really. So there was, it's called the Mental Health Working Party. I think we both found out about it by luck. and We both kicked and screamed until we got a seat at that table. And um, it wasn't until we were both there that we sort of realised that there were both these people from the field who would have this lived experience, who were passionate, because we were both asking the same questions. Why aren't we doing more? Why are we accepting the way things are going? So what was this mental health group? What, um, what, is oh, look, something that Energy Queensland yeah, yeah. started? Yeah, look, it's very, okay. um, it's very proactive. It's really good. You know, mm-hmm. that we wanted to look at, you know, unfortunately our business had been hit by a, a number of suicides um, and the business and the unions sort of got together and said, look, you know, we, we want to try and prevent this. And, and that was the first step is let's get a collaboration going and try and understand some of the gaps and what can we do better. So, you know, it was very proactive. Um, foresight that they they saw to create this group um and yeah just fortunately that's where we met each other so it was a group of leaders within energy queensland oh so it's a group it it is a group full cross-sectional so we are very broad business so like myself tradesman from the field james leader from the field we had leaders from um, health and safety teams we had representatives from a whole range we're a very broad and diverse business um, so some corporate, some field, some rural, some <laughs> central to try and pull together. I think there's about 12 people mm. at the start of that to really look at, well, what are we doing? What are our exposures? What gaps have we got? Those sort of things. So the groups that you, you met, you met at the group, one of these meetings by chance, and then you both said to each other, we need to do something yeah. to change this. Yeah, pretty much. I mean... Um, you know, we had a few conversations and just realised like I couldn't have met a better mate, workmate, you name it. Like we we just so aligned and just yeah, it, it's just that initial connection of both of us with the same vision, the same passion, which I don't think you form by chance. I think mm. the universe or whatever mm. chucked us together. Yeah. Um, but then I kind of I'd done a video for Beyond Blue, so I speak for Beyond Blue outside okay. of work as a speaker and I'd done a video will be on blue um this video made its way to our um, executive general manager and um because she's been a you know, very good support and advocate for us from the start and she saw the video and approached me and said this is fantastic you know this would be really good if we could use this in the business um you know to demonstrate you know about the vulnerabilities and stuff um but I turned around and said no way you're not using it so um which kind of took her back a little bit. Um, she sort of said, how come? And I said, well, look, I really want something a bit more behind just playing a video in a meeting. Yeah. Really want to see us try and engage and do a lot more of what myself and I would have been talking about. And that was then, you know, the gateway into having that conversation with her and mm. then ultimately a few weeks later with the CEO. Wow. So you took the initiative yourselves to get together and say, well, it's not, not that it's not, not a bad thing that they've started, but we could do better. <clears throat> and it's up to us to go out there and start this. Yeah, and, and look, at that time, very early days, and I'm happy to say that that group still exists now and, and they have yeah. made fantastic changes. But at that time when that group 
were together and they were discussing, you know, some of the problems, some of the solutions. Uh, a few, fair few months went by and there was a whole lot of discussion and very little action. Yep. And yeah, we, we literally sat there and said, look, we, there needs to be more action. Like, it's great that we're talking, but this need, we need to follow through. So yeah, we pulled up our CEO and the EGM and said, let's make it happen. We've had some fantastic um, solution-based discussions in this team. One of them was that we should have people from within our workforce who can be a funnel point for anything to do with mental health. And that's essentially where our mental health advocate roles came from. And and it came from that group saying we need to do it. But it wasn't until we were able to get that leadership on board where they said, yeah, we agree, let's make it happen. So tell me what the role Tell me how what the role is and what it comprises of. It's pretty it's pretty diverse. We're still making it up as we go along. To but no, look, we, we were given that because you go out and, and look in any organisation at what does a mental health advocate do. There's not many organisations that have even got it. So no. that job profile is pretty pretty hard to come by. Um, so fortunately, you know, we were entrusted to create that. But you know, realistically, we we are that touch point within the business for. Or anything to do with mental health but we're not the the surgeon fixing things but we're certainly that first point of call where we can be almost like a gp and assess and refer you know we can we can talk to people and see if we can refer them up to some help or give some guidance and some some help we also deliver training um so i'm accredited for mental health first aid so we started to roll that through and um we've been delivering a lot of piloted the mates in energy and, and aaron can probably give you a, a rundown on how that's gone because that's been a big chunk of his his last probably 12 months yeah maintain energy yeah so yeah, tell us about that maintain energy has been one of our big focuses over the past sort of nearly two years um and so that it was born out of maintain construction uh movement uh, which has been in construction for 11 years and has successfully reduced suicides there we had a look at um our history and we had a two-year period where we lost far too many people to suicide. Um, and we said, well, we need to do something about it. So we engaged Mates and said, hey, look, we see the work that you're doing in construction. It's making a big difference. Can we do something within our business as well and within our industry? And so together with them, we kicked off Mates and Energy, which is a suicide prevention peer support program throughout the entirety of our business. Um, and so it's... it's three tiers within that. The first tier of that is that every single one of our employees, so seven and a half thousand other employees from Thursday Island to Tweed Heads. You have 79 locations. Yeah. 7,500 people. Yeah. This is a big organisation. Yeah. Every single one of them gets the, uh, the chance to sit down and have an hour discussion about mental health, right? Um, once and, a year? Um, so at the moment, it's once. Okay. But there are freshers and we catch everyone coming into the business because we don't want there to be any gaps. Yeah. What that hour session is about, right, is about giving our people some tools to pick up in the people around them if they're going through a hard time. So it benefits our business because it's looking after our workmates, but it also benefits them and their communities and their families as well because it's giving them skills to look after the people they care about. Out of that, we say, hey, look, if you'd like to volunteer to do more, would like to be able to offer more. And so we've been very lucky. We've had nearly 50% of our business volunteer to do more. And so far, we're at just around 1,000 people trained to do more, four hours worth of training, how to connect someone up to help, how to ask a really challenging question, which is, are you thinking about suicide? But we need to ask that because that tells us whether we're going to walk or run to help, and that question saves lives. 
and then volunteers from that again. If they'd like to go on, they go on and do two days mental health, uh, sorry, two days suicide intervention training. So it utilizes the living works model. Um, and so, yeah, two days and how to turn a death plan into a life plan. So they've got an, everyone gets an hour. Yep. And then out of the 7,500 people, mm-hmm. half of those showed interest to wanting to help yep. do more. And that was a four hour session. Correct. And you've already put a thousand people through that. Yep. And that then goes into a bit more depth with signals to look for um, what, what sort of in the four hours. Yeah. So we do a bit around signals, but really what it's about is that for those, so that is a suicide prevention program. So it really is about finding out is it about suicide or is it not? And look, we're new to talking about that topic. So yeah. we do a lot about what is the best practice way to ask so that I'm setting it up so that person can answer honestly whatever that answer be but really if it is yes building it in a safe place so that person can answer yes because then we can do something about it while it's a thought before it becomes an action and we might be able to help keep that person safe and so then the two-day intensive Mm -hmm. that then gives them uh, a training certification yep to then uh, actively do this so or, or is it the, part of their day-to-day job? So how it works, um, so if we look at it from, from a physical perspective, it probably makes it make sense a whole lot more. If there is someone and they're cutting up their sandwich in the smoker room and they cut their finger, everyone at work can see the claret spilling everywhere, right? And that's the general awareness. That's that first level. We can all identify mm. that something's not right. Then look, if that cuts, you know, needs a bit of a bandage on it, we have some first aiders and that's what the connectors are. So they can go and they can have a look and they can go, all right, well, look, I can give you a bit of a hand with this. But sometimes we cut the end of the finger off, we need to take some more immediate action. And that's where our cis-train employees come in. So if that person is having thoughts of suicide, a connector would refer them on to someone who's done assist and that person will sit with them and take the time that we've got to take to literally turn that death plan into a life plan. So that two days is quite intensive, right? Mm. But what it is about, it's about learning how to listen to someone's story. And when they're first having those thoughts of suicide, they're very much focusing on the reasons for dying, right? And so we educate people to listen to their story, to find the glimmers of light and to pull them into focus so we can get them to a space where they've gone from initially having those reasons for dying to now we've got to focus on the reasons for still being here. Mm-hmm. And so that's how that sort of all fits together. Yeah. It's a wonderful program and a great initiative, uh, and I'm uh, obviously it's amazing. I assume Energy Queensland are really proud of of introducing these sorts of things. Is yeah, that right? Well, that shows you the, the commitment of the organisation. So that was born out of that that working group that we spoke about yeah. before. So mates came in and did a presentation with us, and we said this is fantastic, and that showed the commitment to me that the business is willing to offer up the the funding to actually run a pilot through our business and the time that it takes. We're taking people out of the workforce to actually do that. And that showed to me that they were committed and taking it seriously. And so we're using the mates in construction framework or you're, and you're applying it to the energy. Yeah. So mates in construction to mates energy, they, they are very similar, but it is important that what we talk about is relevant to the industry because there are different yes. things that we experience in both. Right. Um, so yes, exactly the same framework that Mates in Construction does. We've replicated it into our industry, but also in, into the mining industry recently as well. So, and I think that we're going to see similar things to more industries because that framework makes sense. Allowing people to look after the people around them is a really powerful tool. 
So it sounds amazing. Do you know how, how do you, are you tracking progress? I mean, is there a way that you uh, obviously yeah. so, got some data? Yeah, well, what we've done is we, um, we've enlisted the help from originally from Griffith University, who um, have run a, a mental health study so that we can actually try and identify the state of our organization, you know, where we're at, where, where are some gaps, where do we need to focus? So, you know, we're still early days of, the role and the whole looking at this whole topic. Um, but at least we've got some baseline data that we can sort of start with. Um, but we've actually just finished, um, and it should be released soon as our, our mental health strategy and our plan. So what's our vision for the next four to five years of what we want to do in the mental health space in the workplace. And, and throughout each layer of that, we're going to have just ways of monitoring this um, just to see whether we are on track. If we're not on track, we're missing anything. What's good? What's bad? What can we do better? So. And there are, are there ways internally to show who's at what level through, through this process, so that if yep. you know if a supervisor's done the two day versus is that is there a badge or something? Is that how it's done? Yeah. yeah. So we've actually gone to a lot of effort to try and make sure there's as many ways because this is peer support network is great as long as you know it exists, right? Yeah. So for us, our field workers, they'll have a sticker on the hard hats for our people in the office. They either have a little plaque on their desk. Uh, we wear lanyards for, for security and ID in our business. So there's a, a little lanyard tag as well that sits on those. And some desks have a little flag on the top to say that they've done that connector or that assist training. On top of that as well, <laughs> we also have uh, on our internal website within our business, our intranet, um, you can click it. Two clicks will get you to the entire list. So you can look at all 900 people who have done that connector training mm -hmm. because the person or people who are connector trained at your area, you might not want to talk to. Mm. We have a lot of, so average uh, length of employment in our business is about 10 years. So we have a lot of people who have been there a long time and have shifted around. So it's quite normal for someone who's maybe out west where there's only four people there. They don't want to talk to the person they're working next to every day. They can look at that list and go, you know what, I worked with that someone here in Cairns 15 years ago, I'm comfortable calling them and having a chat. We're also at the moment developing an app as well, which um, is going to be able to use location-based services on our phone so that if you want help, one button click away will we'll tell you who the closest connectors are by geographical location. And for what purpose, is that correct? So, and so that, yeah, we can find out who you... What we want is to be able to know what the peer support networks are, who the people they can talk to, and then they can mm. self-select who's right for them. One of the key parts of the mates thing is that those people who go on further are all volunteers. Look, like a lot of businesses, sometimes we designate who's going to go on to do this training or that training, right? And it means we don't always get the right person in the right spot. And when it comes to something like this, you really want it to be someone that you're able to have a relationship with. Well, maybe you want to someone that you've never seen before, and that's okay too. But it's about making sure the people have got the choice they want to able to access someone that they're comfortable talking to. Yeah, and so if if James is my, he's got the sticker on, and I don't feel comfortable talking to James, but I see you on the on the list, and I say oh, I want to talk to Aaron. What's the what's the feedback loop behind the scenes? Is there something that happens? that says, or is there a confidentiality thing to me that you're entitled to that you wouldn't tell James? How does this, how so does it work? Connectors are very much based on trust and they're okay. a referral network, right? And so, um, look, because we are dealing with, in some cases, suicide, we can't say we won't tell anyone. That's mm. not something that a connector can bear. 
you know, even if you're um, a member of the APS, the, your code of confidentiality and ethics say mm. that, look, you need to tell someone if we can't get this person to a safe spot, right? And so for our connectors, if someone comes to them and has a discussion, that connector will refer them on to help. Um, and they do have that trust where they aren't going to go and tell everyone around them. They aren't going to go and tell that person's boss and say, hey, look, your employee is doing this um, because that's not their role. The connectors are just there to look after the person. If a boss is wondering about their employee, that's a conversation that they need to have with that employee, right? But it's not something the connector is not a conduit for that. And all the connector is is helping get someone who's struggling to some of the help that's available. Externally. So yeah, there's external and internal as well. So depending, so that we utilize a ton of external resources because when it's not about suicide, it might be about gambling. It might be they've gone through mm. a breakup. So we hook them up with a whole ton of resources, whether that be you know dads in distress or who knows, right? I want to ask some questions about what's available to me out west. I might hook them up to one three hundred MH call or something like that. So yeah, definitely some external resources, but some internal ones as well. James, tell me about some of the challenges that you're finding um, being a mental health advocate within, well, not just Energy Queensland, but I mean, just going through the role. Not, not... I suppose, uh, yeah, challenges, I suppose, is, um, I suppose, just getting that credibility, first of all, for what we're trying to achieve. You know, you, you need to come with that vulnerable, you know, you need to open up a little bit to, to people to take me seriously because, yeah. you know, I'm not just some academic who's coming and knows a bit well, mental health, so I'm going to tell you what, what to do. So that's a big challenge for, for us is just getting that credibility. Credibility amongst your peers or amongst the leaders or both? Both. Okay. Right. You know, it, it, I'm no guru on anything, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing some studies externally as well just to for my own sort of sense of understanding and this, this is the field that I work in now. But, yeah, you know, people look at you and they go, well, you're just a tradie. What do you know about this? And that's, you know, where you have to. Sometimes I open up that vulnerable stuff because I've lived this. So I do know this and I do have some credibility on this subject. And I guess we're really lucky within our business that we've both been with the business for over a decade, right? And our business does work differently to a lot of small businesses and other mm. industries. So when people come and tell us what they're experiencing, we can relate to it. So we are lucky in that respect that we do have that credibility within our workforce that we know what it's like because we've lived it for a decade and we know exactly where they're coming from because we've sat there. Yeah. And it comes back to my point earlier with people resonate and they feel that rapport and they feel like they can open up to people like yourself Definitely. because you understand. Mm. You've yeah. been there. Absolutely. Tell me about the culture. I mean, do you feel like the culture is getting better? Do you feel like it's it's heading in the right direction? Yeah, look, I mean, we... <laughs> We've got a long way to go, not only in the workplace, but in society. Yes. But um, the fact that we're actually having conversations and we're actually getting people opening up a little bit more or using services such as the EAPs and things like that shows to me that there is a shift in the culture. But as I say, in the wide world, we can shift the culture and change as much as we like in the workplace. But as soon as you walk out that front door, the wide world still got a way to go as well. Yeah. So. Yeah, so you found the stuff beneficial for not just your workplace, but, but for your life in general. Absolutely, yeah. You know, we, we interact with people, no matter what you do, whether you're, you're in the sporting clubs, you're, you're mm. in religious circles, or you're yeah. just your family, friends, whatever. This is stuff, this is life. This is real skills, tools that you can use and apply in your entire life. And we do, like, evaluate a fair few of the things that we do, but probably something that we 
make sure we maintain is because look don't get me wrong i've done my fair my fair share of research um but one of the problems that we face with you know say self-assessment or surveys or those sort of things especially when it's conducted within a workplace and especially around mental health is how do we make sure that actually the data we're getting is honest right because people do want to hold back and so for us that boots on the ground has really been valuable feedback and so when we look at the when we go out and we touch base with a, a group you know, whether it be after mates or after James and I have gone out and done something. The amount of times we hear people saying, you know what, this should have been here 15 years ago, this should have been here 10 years ago, why aren't we talking about this in schools, is really encouraging that we're on the right track because mm-hmm. they're finding value in it. And they're coming up and having those discussions with us and their leaders and their connectors around mental health where that just wasn't even an option five years ago. And it could be worse. It could be not until another five or ten years ahead. So, I mean, we're pretty mm. lucky that we're, we're doing it when we are. Absolutely. Albeit later than what we'd like. Yep. Um, but we're still heading down the path of where we need to be heading. Definitely. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what I say to everybody when they say it to me. Oh, this we should have had this ten years ago. Well, we haven't got a time machine, but we've got it now. So, <laughs> that's good. Yep. We can do something in the now, right? Tell me about the, is there any link between uh, more challenges with mental health in the rural or remote areas versus the city or regional areas? Is there any, have you seen any patterns or any? D- different challenges, I'd say. Okay. You know, certainly they have their own unique challenges, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, we do get out west and, you know, certainly weather events and things like that and, and jobs and they're unique challenges, you know, mm. not, and I'm not going to say that the city is any easier or any harder. Yes. We just, there's different challenges for different demographics. I, mean, I don't know whether Aaron can Yeah, add and, and it can be a really double-edged sword. And, you know, things like community is a great example, whereas when you look at our rural and remote depots, their locations out west, is that within their teams, normally they have a more of a community feel, whereas in our inner city stuff can be a bit more isolating. Mm. That in turn can be really great when it comes to help seeking off someone new. At the same time, that means, you know, I look at some of our small towns that we have employees in and when something horrible happens, everyone feels it. Everyone's impacted, right? So it's kind of, yeah, it is a bit of a double-edged sword. Tell me about the future with where you think you're heading with this is there a is there a vision a finished product or a service that you guys can see is what you're working towards yeah so i think uh we've been really honest with ourselves from the get-go that we are very lucky to work in these roles right and we love them to be honest but i've never been in a role where our aim is what it is now which is that you don't need us right our goal is that you don't need mental health advocates and they can be redundant, that we have um, addressed the culture within our workplace so you can have those open and honest discussions no matter who you're having that discussion with, that how we operate, our job design, our psychological risk has been mitigated and addressed so much that we're doing the best we can to look after our people, that you don't need to have a couple of blokes or whatever it might be who are the filter point for everything to do with mental health because you have the education, you have the understanding, you know where to go, you know what's available. Um, and really our goal is that our roles don't need to be there. We can get our business to a place where mental health is really at the core and the forefront of how we operate. And the challenge with that is, as I said, as soon as you step outside that front gate, there's a whole world to change. So, mm. you know, it's, um, that's, that's a vision. I think we're quite a way away from that because as, as mm. hard as we can work in the workplace, 
there's so much culture and, and, and things to change within the wide world and the, and the society in general. And you know, we're, we've both said we want to change our workplace, but we want to change the world. No, we're, mm. we're both fathers, both got kids, and it's great to look after our workplace, but we both have a real investment in looking after our communities as well because that's a community our kids and our kids' kids are going to grow up in, and we want them to grow up in a safe way. How, with regards to the, the work that you're doing, obviously, is, is this is a new role. So you've been doing this for how long? Two years. Two years in this role. Uh, obviously, the framework that you have put into place so far is far better than what was there years ago, mm-hmm. uh, which means, obviously, you're on the right path. Do you see just you further implementing, further developing the stuff that you're already doing, or are you looking to also bring in other new initiatives what's we're always open to new stuff because the world is ever changing hey like you know you look at anything technology you name it, it it's just constantly shifting so to think that we can just come up with a model which is done dusted and that's what we're going to do is unrealistic so our strategy our plan is is very fluid in in its nature it's like a living document so it can be agile enough to change you know mm-hmm. who knows what could happen we can bring in some new kind of initiative, new training, new technology, whatever it may be. And if we're trying to match that with a rigid strategy and structure, it's not yeah. going to mesh. And we um, we are lucky that we can look at how we operate as a business from a mental health lens. Um, but what we we don't pretend that we have all the answers. Right? And no. Also, if we did, but we don't. And some of the best solutions that we come to are the ones that are just completely out of the box. And sometimes you can't see them from inside a business or inside an industry or inside a role. And it takes someone else to open your vision to that. And so definitely that's something that moving forward, that one of the reasons we get involved with conferences and that, right, is because we want that information shared. We want to find out what mm-hmm. other people are doing, what fantastic things are happening, because it can really help us. Yeah. And James, you mentioned before that you were doing your own stuff outside of the work. What, what sort of... Uh, training or what? What are you yeah. studying? Or? Oh, look, I'm I'm studying a Bachelor of Counselling. So, um, well, we're about slowly but surely, but at the University of Sunshine Coast. Oh, great! So, yeah, look, I'm just over halfway at the moment because I'm I'm only doing it part time because it's just are you know, enjoying the course. Job. But yeah, yeah, I'm enjoying it. Obviously, the practical stuff is the stuff I thrive on, mm. which is really good. Um, and also speak for Beyond Blue, as I said before. So you know, I try and give back to to an organization which i still feel saved my life so you know i do as much as i can for them and volunteer and speak and and do you know that stuff in my spare time because to me this isn't a nine-to-five job Mm. caring about mental health wanting to make a difference (laughs) i don't clock on in the morning and clock off and go that's it it's cool it to me it's it's all the time because i'm that passionate about it that's really good what about you are you doing other stuff as well yes i'm studying a um Batch science major in psych, so slowly getting through that. Should be finished by next year, hopefully. Oh, congrats! Um, Whereabouts are you studying? Now? So I'm through University of Southern Queensland. Oh, great! Yeah, so it's um, which works for me because I'm like we're very busy and we travel a lot, right? Um, and we both got families and those sort of things, like a lot of people. Um, so to be able to continue that studying, we're really lucky where the business has supported us in being able to continue that. Um, but it's like that, you know, we got to fit in nine o'clock at night online, yeah. do what you got to do, right? Yes. Um, but yeah, so that's, 
that definitely keeps me out of trouble between work because it's definitely not a nine to five. Um, yeah. um, I think both of us spend a lot of time till probably later at night than we'd like to admit. Um, you know, looking after staff doing what we can, but that's what happens when you can't force enough fashion in, <laughs> right? It's it's inspiring. It's inspiring to hear what you what you're both up to. Uh, what do you, James? What do you love most about your job? Just helping people. Like I, I look at, as I said before, I think the reason I got to the very point that I got to was because of of my lack of education, my naivety to the subject, and my just plain ignorance to want to get some help. So the thing that I love is trying to break that down and trying to give people some tools and some some things they can actually practically use. I just want to prevent people getting to the point that I got to. And if I can do that, to me, it's so satisfying. It made a difference. And Aaron? Um, yeah, it definitely is. It's a rewarding role. I love being a linesman, don't get me wrong. Climbing power poles and building that sort of stuff's great. Um, but definitely have found my calling and recognise I'm really lucky to work in something that I'm so passionate about. To have, you know, someone contact you every now and then and say, hey, look, you know what, coming out and talking to my work group made it easier for me to share with them what I was going through or helping see someone go from really suffer with, whether it be anxiety at work, right, to a place where now they're thriving and getting promotions and those sort of things is incredibly rewarding. Like you just can't put a, a value on it. How has the experience changed you for, for the better, Jane? Um, yeah, look, I, it, I look probably not so much as me, but what I've given to my children. Yeah. I've got two teenagers and um, the fact that they can openly talk about their own mental health and understand what you know conditions are and, and what poor mental health may look like within their friends, that's probably... Mm. more so for me than personally is, mm. is that legacy that I, I can leave through my family and their friends and, and beyond. That's magnificent. There you are. Um, I look back on how I was, you know, 10 years ago um, and I'm a completely different person. Um, I'm someone that definitely what I'd been taught growing up is you don't talk about mental health. I actually unfortunately had a very poor understanding around anything mental health illness condition related to the point where I had people go through really traumatic events and I didn't support them because I just didn't understand. Um, so me going through my journey and working this role now is really I've come out a different person where I'm out there talking to people about, look, we, we can do something. We can talk about it. It is a real thing. And how can I help you look after the people around you? So, yeah, that's, um, it's been a, a huge shift in my life. James, do you have any words of advice or any any books that you recommend for people? I mean, what, what's what sort of parting yeah. words? For me, parting words are, look, I'll always speak from the heart about Beyond Blue because of the connection I have, as I said. But all I would urge people to do is even just jump on their website and just try and educate yourself. There's a bunch of free resources out there. Just have a little bit of a look. Maybe have a conversation if you've got you know, friends or family, or you may notice that they may be struggling, whatever, just jump on the website and just educate yourself just a little bit. That would be my, my guide in life is people just to, to try and upskill yourself a little bit. You haven't got to train yourself as a psychologist or counsellor, mm. but just to understand things a little bit clearer if you don't really understand it. Yes. Yeah. Um, I guess, I don't know, 
I sort of reflect back on what I've been through and I never thought I'd be working in mental health space, right? Um, and definitely there's a lot of times where I could have gone, I'm happy doing what I'm doing, I'll just stay there. But by far the most rewarding thing I've ever done has been to make that change. So, you know, for anyone that's thinking about getting involved in that or that's already involved in that, like just don't give up because, look, it is a space where you come across challenges, no two ways about it, setbacks along the way. But it's so, so worth it in the end. Energy Queensland is obviously really, really lucky to have you guys, uh, but also are doing a really great job in taking initiative and supporting okay. such programs. I obviously want to really thank you guys. I think that obviously Energy Queensland is super lucky, but I think to have more of this stuff out there that is sharing, uh, creating awareness, helping share resources and tools to, to better mental health and try and get that prevention and early detection before it's too late is critical and uh you guys are are leaders out there and you're inspiring not just to us but to our audience and so we really appreciate the work that you're doing and thank you very much for making a difference so thank you yeah thanks yeah yeah, thanks for having us and yeah we, we do appreciate everything that energy queensland's done for us as well yeah thanks a lot no worries thanks guys cheers cheers Is there someone working in mental health who you'd like to be featured on the podcast? Are there more questions you want the answers to? Let us know what you want to hear. Get in touch with us by emailing any podcast suggestions to membership at anzmh.asn.au and be sure to stay up to date on our socials at ANZMHA on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you very much for listening and we look forward to sharing our next conversation.